as they're heading out, let me give you one more announcement that I didn't give you earlier this morning. You'll see, you've, you've been seeing it in the bulletin, but there's an announcement in there about next week, we're having our local church conference, which is uh, at the end of our fiscal year at the church, we uh, gather together to talk about what God has done in this past year and what we are looking forward to, what we're hoping might be coming in the future. And that meeting is set for next Sunday morning. We're going to gather the adults together during Sunday school time. And the children will still have their Sunday school classes, but the adults will all be together for our local church conference. And so I hope that you can come back next week and uh, hear a little about my report about what has happened in this past year and that we might anticipate together what God is going to do for us in the future. We are going to be in the book of Ruth this morning. It's page 222, if you're using a pew Bible this morning. As we're, we've taken a break out of the book of Acts. Last week we stepped out of Acts so that we might talk to the graduates. And today we're taking another week out of the book of Acts because as we started to think about, as I started to think about Mother's Day and, and what we might be able to, to do this morning and how we might honor mothers and, and really all women, there was, there was a couple of things that we knew might be okay to do on this day to celebrate and honor women. One was flowers. I mentioned that. We have flowers out in the foyer because most women, I think, like to have a flower. And the second thing that I wanted to do this morning that I knew most women enjoy are Hallmark movies. And so there's this written Hallmark movie right here in the Old Testament that we're going to walk through this morning Because Flowers and Hallmark movies is always a hit, I think, on Mother's Day. And so we're going to walk through the story of Ruth this morning. We're going to walk through, it's it's the the story of Ruth is, is the whole book, so I hope that you're ready. I hope you're strapped in, I hope you don't have your oven set at home, because we're going to walk through a whole book of the Bible today, talking about the story of Ruth. Lots of you, you've already chuckled, you, you know the story of Ruth, you know the ins and outs of it, you, you understand the picture that God paints for us through the book of Ruth, but some of you this morning, you're, you're, you're even flipping through the Old Testament trying to even find the story of Ruth. The story of Ruth happens pretty early on in the Old Testament. We have the, the, the first books of the Old Testament kind of point us through through creation through God leading the Israelites out of Egypt and then into the promised land. That happens then in, in Joshua, the book of Joshua. And then, then we have the time of the judges. And that's where Ruth happens, is in that part of Israel's history in the time of the judges before we have the, the story of the kings, which starts to happen uh, in Samuel. There's a, there's a number of judges, you know them. There's, there's people that, that before there was a, a king in Israel, there would be people that God would raise up at moments to, to help Israel, especially when they were, were being oppressed by other peoples. And so Samson is one of those judges, you know that story. Ehud is a judge, Deborah is a judge. Uh, Gideon is a judge, you know the story of Gideon. He would be the, the judge during this time, during the story of Ruth. There's a number of, of judges that come and go, and, and one of the reasons why God sets forth judges and raises up these, these judges to, to rule over the Israelites is because several times in the book of Judges, you'll read this line, 
Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's what's happening for the Israelites. That's, what hap- that's what's happening. Is they're all deciding for themselves. What makes me happy? What do I think is right? What's, what's the best move for me? And so they're all doing what they think is right in their own eyes. And so that's why this story, the story of Ruth, is, is so remarkable. It's that God begins to give us a picture. God begins to give us a picture through the, the faithful and, and hardworking women in the story and through the Redeemer in Boaz, who we'll meet in just a few moments. But really, the story of Ruth is it's not about Ruth or Naomi or Boaz, but it's about God who works from beginning to end to make this happen. And even while people are doing what is right in their own eyes, God is at work redeeming and bringing his people to himself. And so we're going to look at that story. I'm not going to read the whole, all, the, all the chapters of Ruth. We're just going to walk through it. So I hope you have a Bible and you can flip through and kind of read a little bit. We're going to highlight several different portions, several different verses so that you can see it. But I'm just going to walk through the story so that you can begin to understand and paint this picture. We begin at the very beginning of Ruth. It says, even if, you, if you're right there, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 says that in the days when the judges ruled, as I mentioned, as in the days when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn to the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. Names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Epaphrites from Bethlehem in Judah, they went into the country of Moab, and they remained there. Right away, this, this, even just these couple of verses give us a picture of everyone that was doing what they thought was right in their own eyes. Bethlehem, Israel, they're in drought. And Elimelech is, is trying to figure out a way to provide for his family. That's the job. That's the duty that God has given to him. And so he's trying to find a way. And so what's right in his own eyes is to leave Bethlehem, to leave Israel, to head out, to go try to find another place where he might be able to find food, where he might be able to find a job, where he might be able to find a way to care for his family. And so he does. And commentators, when they, when they write on this, even just this beginning in the story of Ruth, they would say that what Elimelech is doing is not wrong. In fact, he's, he's trying to do what God has called him to do. He's trying to watch over his family. But, but the idea of leaving Bethlehem, the idea of leaving this promised land, the idea of, of deciding on his own that he's going to go off somewhere else and, and leave this land and go into the land of Moab, would have been discouraged. It would have been frowned upon. It might have even been been seen as a lack of faith that God was going to provide for his people. And so Elimelech does what is wise in his own eyes, and he heads off to Bethlehem. While he's there, or heads out of Bethlehem into Moab. While he's there, his two sons get married to Moabite women, it tells us in verse 4, Orpah and Ruth. Again, 
commentators would say that this is not against God's law, like marrying a Canaanite woman would have been expressly forbidden in God's law, but marrying a Moabite woman was not. But probably would have been frowned upon. Probably would have been discouraged. But they were doing what was right in their own eyes. That's the picture. It's the picture of the Israelites during the time of Judah, but that's the picture of us oftentimes. We do what's right in our own eyes. We do what's right in our own eyes. We spend lots of time thinking about what's right to us, what makes us happy, what helps us to feel good. And, 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 and lots of times we don't run off directly into what we know is a sin. We don't run directly headlong into, into full-on rebellion. But we just, we just make compromises. And we just begin to do things that aren't necessarily wrong, but they're frowned upon, maybe. And so we began to just get more and more entangled in to doing what we want, to what we think is wise in our own eyes. The story of Ruth, it would be inferred to the Israelites as they would read the story that, that the fact that Elimelech has moved his family, that the boys have married Moabite women, and now Elimelech has passed away, Malon and Kilion have passed away, and now there's just Naomi and Orpah and Ruth. They're all alone. All of the men have passed away. They're far from home. They don't have any relatives there to care over them. The Israelites would be reading that story, and they would see that this was God disciplining this family, God directing them back to where he wanted them to be, back to the promised land, back to the home that he had promised to the Israelite people. And they would see this. They would, they would infer that this was God redirecting them back away from what they had already been doing, what they saw as wise in their own eyes. God is leading them. God is prompting and working, directing them back. If you read in chapter one, you see that all of the men are, are gone and Naomi begins to hear that back home, back in Bethlehem, the drought is over, that, there's, that, there, is, that, the, that there is hope to go back. And she knows that, that her current situation is untenable. She has these two daughters that are with her, daughter-in-laws that are with her, but, but she doesn't have her husband any longer. She doesn't have any heirs with her. There's no children in the family at this point. And so there's no one to care for her. And there's really no future hope of being cared for either. But if she could get back home, God's law, God's law in the Old Testament has made provisions and ways so that widows might be cared for. If she could just get home, there might be hope for her and for her family. And so she decides to travel back. Ruth and Orpah, her two daughter-in-laws, begin to travel with her. And as, as they're traveling on, Naomi comes to, to Ruth and Orpah, and she turns and she says to them, don't, don't travel with me. Don't go with me. You need to stay here. You don't, there's no family for you 
your family is here. There's no family for you when we get back to Bethlehem. There's, really, uh, there's a hope that I, ha- I have this hope when I go back that I might have some of my needs cared for. We'll find out later. She, she might have some property in Bethlehem. Naomi says that there might be hope for me, but, but I'm so old, I'm never going to have any more sons. There's not going to be an heir. There's not going to be any hope for you. Stay here, she says to Ruth and to Orpah. Both Ruth and Orpah immediately, as soon as she says that, says, no, no, we're, we're going to go with you. And Naomi again says, don't, don't travel with me. Stay here. Stay with your families. And Orpah decides that she is going to stay. She stays in the land of Moab. But Ruth, we're going to come back to what Ruth says a little later this morning, but Ruth has this great line there at the end of chapter 1 where she says, I'm going with you. Naomi. And so they do. Naomi, Ruth, continue on this journey. They get back into their homeland. They get back into Bethlehem. And in chapter 2, we begin to read what happens as they get there. There are several months as they're, they're there and they're surviving. They're, they're, they're able to survive. But it comes to harvest time. And harvest time is, is where they're able to collect some goods so that they might survive. And, and again, as I, as I mentioned, God's law has set about some provisions so that, that widows and orphans especially, those who have great need and little way to be provided for, God has set about some ways that they might be provided for. One of those ways is that when, when farmers are, 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 are harvesting their fields, they're to leave the corners, the edges of the field, so that those who have, who have no other provisions, no other way to, to, to get their crops or no other, no other crops to even get, they can go to those fields, they can harvest the corners of the fields, and they would have just enough for them to survive on. And that's the law for all of the, the Israelite farmers in that area, but commentators would say that because everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes, most of them are not leaving the corners. Most of them are not providing for widows and orphans. Most of them are, are doing what they think is right in their own eyes, what will make them happy, what will make them financially secure and set. And so most of them probably are farming it all the way to the edges. But there's one field where that's not taking place. There's one field owned by a man named Boaz. And Boaz is leaving the corners, as he's been called to do. He's faithfully doing what God has called him to do. And so Ruth, it says in chapter 2, in fact, I want you to see in chapter 2, verse 3, the way that Samuel, he's probably the one that wrote the book of Ruth. Samuel, when he writes it in chapter 2, verse 3, he says, So she set out, talking about Ruth, So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. She happened to come upon the field of Boaz. It's kind of the crux of this story. Ruth happened. It just so happens that Ruth ends up in a field owned by a man from the clan of Elimelech. It's a happy, lucky coincidence that she ends up there. I think the writer of Ruth, Samuel, is telling us 
God is at work from the very beginning. There is no such thing as a lucky coincidence. God is sovereign over all things, everything, every moment. God is sovereign over all things. He's always in control. And so when Ruth heads out to get some food for her and Naomi, she doesn't just happen into the field. God is orchestrating it. God is directing it. God has had a plan from the beginning. And so he brings Ruth to this field. She arrives in Boaz's field, not knowing all of the things that God has been doing behind the scenes. She just arrives at a field that has a few extra things on the edges so that she might be able to glean them, so that she might be able to provide for her and for Naomi. She's there, she's, she's diligently working. And the owner of the field, a man named Boaz, shows up. He sees her, there's, there's a number of people that are, that are probably harvesting. He has his own harvesters that are working in the field, but there's a number of people that are probably gleaning off the corners, off the edges, so that they might provide for their family. And he's looking and he, and he says to his guy that's in charge, he says, who is, who is that woman? Who is that girl? It's a Hallmark movie, remember? This is the point. The big hunk sees the pretty lady. This is what happens in the book of Ruth. Boaz looks out and says to the hired man, who is, who is that woman? And so the man tells about Ruth. Ruth is, is Naomi's daughter-in-law. They've come back from the land of Moab. They don't have anyone to provide for him. She's been here. She's, she's working hard. She's been here all day. She's, she's gleaning out of the, the corner so that she might provide for her family. He tells the whole story. And Boaz is clearly smitten with Ruth. In fact, he, he invites her. It's about lunchtime at that time, and, the, and the, all the harvesters are taking a break for lunch. And so, so Boaz calls her over and says, why don't you, why don't you sit here by me and, and have lunch with me? And he begins to feed her. In fact, he, 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 he begins to feed her so much that she, she gets her fill and then she begins to keep some of, of the leftovers so that she can take them home to Naomi later in the day. And Boaz says, says to Ruth, stay here, don't, don't go to other fields, don't, tr- don't wander off trying to find supplies in other fields, just, just stay here, stay, stay in my field, my harvesters, my guys are going to watch over you, they're going to protect you. And then he, then he goes to, to his guys and he says, he says, as you're collecting up, the harvest, as you're putting the bundles together, normally I want you to collect every bit of it. I want you to to put it in the wagon or or collect it however they do it. I'm not sure what the harvest process is for them. But normally, the owner of the field would say, I want you to to get as much as you can. Leave the corners, but, but get as much as you can out of the heart of the field. Boaz says to his guys, this pretty lady, Ruth, She's going to be following you as you harvest. And, and when you bundle up the harvest and you're throwing all of it in the wagon, leave a bundle or two or three behind. And so as she begins to glean, she'll, she'll, she'll not only be able to glean from the corners, but she's going to have some of the main part of the harvest. She's going to have, she's going to have the, 
the good stuff in the middle, and we're going to provide for her and for her needs. We read this story, and we can kind of understand what's happening, but Israelites, Jewish people, they would have been reading this, and they would just see Boaz is over the top in love with Ruth. And he's making all kinds of moves to let her know that. He's making all kinds of steps and advances so that she might see, so that she might be cared for, so that she might know that he has affection for her. Boaz is making all kinds of advances for her. And the picture for us as we read through this story is not just the love story of Boaz and Ruth. But this picture, this love story is of God for his people. And so the picture that we're to see is that God does the same things for us. Goes out of his way to make a way for us to see him and to know him. That he doesn't, as, as I said earlier, we, there's no lucky coincidence that, that we just happen into it but, it, but it's more than just that. It's that he works so that we might see. He draws us to himself. He makes advances towards us. He pursues us. God helps us to see him. God helps us to see Jesus. Ruth has all of these ways that Boaz is providing for her. And in fact, as you're looking ahead there in, in chapter 20, or in chapter 2, and just to, we're, we're almost to verse 20, she, she brings home all of these things to Naomi. And, and Naomi is just blown away. How did you collect all of this stuff? And in fact, you have some of these, the, the, some of it's already been roasted, like it, it was a meal that was provided for you, and, and the work has already been, how? How is this happening? Blessed is the man who's done this for you, she says to Ruth. Where did you go? What field were you in? Who, who blessed us in such a way? And as you look there in chapter 2, verse 20, Naomi says to her daughter-in-law, it says, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And then as Ruth has told Naomi now whose field she was in, Boaz's field, Naomi reveals to her, this man is a close relative of ours. He is one of our redeemers. He's one of our redeemers. You know this picture, especially if you know the story of Ruth, you already understand this. But there in the Old Testament are these men in a family line who are called to be kinsmen redeemers. They're called to take care of their family line. And so if there's a, 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 a widow who, who has need and to be cared for, there's, there's someone that's designated in the family line to help that relative that's in need. If there's a, a family who has, 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 has through through poverty, has lost some of their, their land through hardship. The kinsman redeemer has been called to, to purchase that back. If there's family members in their family who have been sold into slavery to pay for their debts, the kinsman redeemer is directed by the law to buy them back. He's directed by the law to even marry a widowed woman and even more than that, to, 
to help her to have a son, to have someone who will rise up in their family as an heir and be able to provide for that family. That's his duty. He's even, he's even called, in some cases, to avenge the death of a brother, the kinsman redeemer. And Naomi knows Boaz. Boaz is one of our redeemers. He's in that line. He's one that God has called to help us. God has commanded to help us. And so Naomi and Ruth, they begin to work. Naomi, especially in the midst of this, she is the matchmaker. She's the Cupid behind the scenes that's trying to to work some of these things together. As I said already, this is a story of, of, of God at work. God is the one that leads Ruth to Boaz's field. God is the one that is directing this thing. But there's other people that are at work as well. We've already seen what Boaz has been doing, how he is flirting with Ruth, trying to care for her and let her know that he, that he likes her. And now Naomi is beginning to plan. She gives Ruth some instructions about how they might be able to, to let Boaz know that Ruth is interested, but, but how to do it in a way so that they might be above reproach, so that they can, can do it in a way without embarrassing him or calling him out in front of all of the people. And so they began to make this plan. When, when Boaz is going to go to the threshing floor, he's going to, to be there, and, and probably at night he's going to end up sleeping there so that he might be able to protect his harvest and take care of it. And, he, and, and Naomi says to Ruth, when that happens... When that happens, I want you to go in there quietly, not letting anyone else know. And I want you to, to basically to lay at his feet, to sit at his feet. And Boaz will know, because of the customs of our time, Boaz will know exactly what you're doing, that you are making yourself available to him. And so they do, they work out this plan They see Boaz, he's on the threshing floor, he he lays down to sleep at night and Ruth heads in there in in the stillness of dark, she hides into the threshing floor, she lays at, she reveals his feet it says and she lays down at his feet. He wakens up later in the morning with a start. He doesn't know who's there. And, and when he finally sees Ruth and understands what's happening, he, 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 I think he's probably thrilled at first and then begins to tell Ruth that, yes, I, I, I am one of the kinsmen redeemers for your family, but there's, there's someone else. He says, I, I, I want to do this. I, 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 I want to be with you. I want to... I want to bring you into my family and care for you and, and do these things. I want to call, I want to follow the command that God has given to us. But there's, there's someone else. There's a, there's a chain. There's a hierarchy. And I'm not at the top of the list. There's someone else who should be doing this first. And so he makes this plan, Boaz and Ruth, together. Boaz says, as soon as it's morning, I'm going to go to this man and I'm going to ask him if he will do what he's supposed to do, if he will, will in fact, buy your property that, that needs to be bought, if he'll purchase that property, and if he will care for you and Naomi's needs. So they make this plan, she slips away. And Boaz, the next morning, goes out on the city streets, right at the, at the wall, there's lots of people gathered around, and he finds this man. He finds the one who's, 
supposed to fulfill this kinsman redeemer duty. And he says to him, that here, here's the story, that Naomi has come back, she doesn't have any sons, they don't have any heir, they, she's brought her daughter-in-law Ruth, um, they need someone to care for them, they need someone to buy this property back and to care for them, and, and the kinsman redeemer right away says, okay, I'll do it. I'll do what I'm supposed to do, I'll do what God has called me to do. And then Boaz says, well, you know, you, you can't just buy the property, but you have to, you have to take Ruth, too. She's, she's part of the deal. You're going to have to to marry her, you're going to have to help her to have a, uh, an heir, a son, so that their, the family might be cared for in, in, throughout all generations. And, and this man right away begins to back up. Well, I, you know, I, I maybe could buy the property, but I'm, I don't want to do that. I want to jeopardize the inheritance of my children and, and, and all of those. And, and so he begins to, to backtrack from this deal that he has made. And Boaz, that's exactly what he was hoping for, Boaz jumps at the chance to fulfill that role. Boaz says, I'll do it. And immediately, in fact, if, you, if you're reading there in chapter three, Boaz uh, jumps in right away and exchanges sandals with the guy. That's the way they make the deal, right immediately. As soon as, as, soon as the guy begins to back out, Boaz says, well, here, take my sandal. We're gonna make the deal. I'm, I'm gonna fulfill the role. I'm going to do it. And we have this whole story, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, this whole story, chapter four even, as he begins to do it, makes the deal. And then we come to verse 13. And he says, so Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife, he went into her and the Lord gave him conception and she bore a son. We had this whole three chapters about this whole process. They moved back. She was reaping in the field. He's smitten with her. They had lunch together. It is kind of like a Hallmark movie, isn't it? This whole dating scene gets all spelled out for a long time, and then the climax is it all happened. Here it is. They got married. They had a kid. But I think part of the reason for that is that God wants us to understand the process. He's in charge from beginning to end. That he's making advances towards us. That he's pursuing us. That he loves us. And that he has provided for us a redeemer. He has provided for us a Boaz. But for us, it's in the person of Jesus Christ. It's important that Jesus became man, that God became man so that we might have the Redeemer, so that we might have, so that we might have a qualified kinsman Redeemer that rescues us, that makes a way for us. And Jesus does exactly that. He buys us out of the slave market that we're in of sin. He restores us to our heavenly inheritance. He's married us as we're an impoverished widow with no hope and nowhere to go. And he's even avenged our spiritual death by defeating sin and defeating Satan. And like Boaz, he doesn't do it out of obligation. Boaz could have turned his back and walked away and said, you know what, I'm not the top of the line. I'm not the first one in this kinsman redeemer 
hierarchy. There's someone else that's really the one that's responsible for it. Jesus doesn't do that. Just as Boaz, just as Boaz did it because he wanted to, Jesus has provided a way for us and redeemed us because he loves us. It's not his duty. It's not his duty, but God in his sovereignty has provided a way for us because of his grace and mercy. I said we're going to go back and look at this passage in in Ruth chapter 1. Because God is doing all of these things. God is, is bringing Ruth to the right field and Boaz is, is responding in the way he's supposed to respond and, and, and Naomi and Ruth have this plan. They go to the fleshing, threshing floor. Boaz redeems. All of those things are, are awesome. But there's, there's this other part of it that I want you to see too. And it begins with Ruth's response back in chapter one. Ruth Back in chapter one, when Naomi says, Ruth, go home. Go, go back to your family. There's nothing for you if you come to Bethlehem with me. There, there's no hope for you if you come. Just stay here. And Ruth says to Naomi, if you look back in chapter one, in verse 16 and 17, Ruth says, don't urge me to leave you, to return from falling with you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Ruth, Ruth responds to Naomi early on and says, I'm going, I'm following you. Your people are gonna be my people. Your God is gonna be my God. She responds. She also does it through the story. She, she works hard when she gets to Boaz's field to, to, to reap and provide for her family. She, she's diligent in what she does. She, she even works out this plan with Naomi to, to try to let Boaz know that she's interested in him. She, she doesn't look to other people. She only looks to Boaz to rescue and redeem their family. The point of all of that is, is God is working and orchestrating all these things, but Ruth is also doing her part. She's responding as well. She's working as well. The hallmark story of Ruth is that God is sovereignly working things together and the people are responding, doing what God has called them to do. Boaz is responding, Naomi is responding and doing, Ruth is doing it as well. God has provided a way for us to have our sins covered, forgiven, cared for. He has provided for us a redeemer in Jesus Christ. And we respond by calling out to him and resting only in him, not looking to anyone else, but only to Jesus. He is our kinsman redeemer. He is our rescuer. He is our only hope. God has orchestrated these things together so that we might see him. And so we cry out on the name of the Lord and we're saved. We're gonna celebrate communion together this morning. Celebrate that God has in fact provided for us a way. The worship team is gonna come and lead us. We have open communion here at Richland. 
which means that we would love to have you share in this communion with us. There's an invitation on the screen. All we ask is that you live under that invitation, knowing that God has provided a way, the only way for us to have our sins forgiven through Jesus Christ, and that we want to celebrate that together. The function of how we will have communion together is that our elders in just a moment uh, will walk down the aisle and they'll release you row by row and these center rows will come and collect their communion cups here. The outer sections will go to the outer tables. If you're in the balcony, there's a table at the back of the balcony under the stained glass window. There's two cups inside those trays. We ask you to take both cups together. They're stacked on top of each other. The top cup has the juice, the bottom cup has the bread. Hold those cups and then we will take that communion together. We're celebrating today that God has provided a kinsman redeemer for his people. God's orchestrated this gigantic love story, much greater than Boaz and Ruth, where the king of all creation, the God of all creation has made a way for you and me to be redeemed. And he's done it through his son, Jesus. So we're gonna celebrate that together. The elders are gonna come and lead us. I invite you to take your cup, to hold it, and we'll share it together. There is a
This represents the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. God sent his son to become man so that we might have an eligible kinsman redeemer that might make a way for us to be forgiven of our sins. Take and eat and be grateful. And this represents the blood that was shed by that Redeemer. It's by his blood that our sins are covered. It's by his blood that our sins are forgiven. Take and drink and be grateful. Our benediction this morning comes from Numbers chapter 6. I invite you to stand as we close out our service this morning. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Thank you for coming this morning.